0: identifying whom to ask what questions is one part what kind of questions you want to ask them that's another challenge and how you phrase them that matters a
1: lot in this episode we're talking to obate of botmock a toronto-based company that is a prototyping tool that is specifically focused on enterprises uh, and really understanding how different people within a company uh, work together and collaborate in conversation design so how do you get stakeholders feedback and sign off and push your designs all the way through engineering. Uh, in this conversation, we talk about his company, Botmark, obviously, but we also really dive into you know, how do you do good product management and product development, and we really get into you know, how Botmark interacts with its clients to really understand what it is that these clients need and therefore what they need to build. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation, and I think you will too. Hey bad how's it going man? It's going good how are you I'm, I'm wonderful. It's great to talk to you again that's been a, it's been a while I guess it's been a while yes, it has been the last time we saw each other was apparently I think that was at uh, well we saw each other at the Raza conference the digital one the virtual one last week, but then the last one before that was in, that was in september i guess
0: yeah this this year is surprisingly flown by and I feel like it's just weird. I've lost track of time and every time I look at the calendar, I'm like, really, we're halfway through? I feel like this is supposed to be a month-long
1: lockdown or something, right? Yeah, but then with, with that, are you making your deadlines and, and your roadmaps in that timeline when it rushes by so fast? Are you on track with everything you all set out to do? Some of them, some of them not, but yeah. <laughs> Like it's, it's funny, I guess like what I uh, what I like about you know the conversational in industry and I ask everybody this it's it's really how did you how did you end up in this? Because I, I don't actually don't know your story of of are you you know a software engineer that became a founder or your founder yeah. or you the product guy? What's the what's the story?
0: Yeah, so I am a Engineer by background, I did a lot of development before, and I ran a design agency, a development design agency before this. And really, it started off as um, a couple of customers reaching out to us and saying, "Hey, we should look into building Facebook bots. Um, you know, you're building web and mobile apps and other strategies for us. Can you help us with that?" And at that time, and this is like 2015, 2016, and Facebook was really, really heavy on this is going to change the way everything works in the web, on the world. And we started exploring. And the roadblock that we kept hitting was that for us to really get a good handle on what a good conversation on Facebook Messenger would be from a bot's perspective, we really were going pen and paper, writing it down, whiteboarding things, and then really just mimicking that in Facebook Messenger, so yeah. creating fake bots. And I think we were not the only ones. Everybody was trying to do something like that to, to quickly get a handle on this thing. And uh, one of uh, our team members thought, okay, we, maybe we can handle this better. So we created a, a simple script that would take a input from Excel and other places and convert it into a dynamic chat yeah. that would look like Facebook Messenger chat. And that way we could present to the customers and tell them that, hey, this is what a typical chat would look like. What do you think? Because the problem with every other way of presenting that conversation flow was that they didn't know what it would look like, what it would feel like. You know, with Web mobile apps, you could make screenshots and make them connected vision in vision and other places and, and get yeah. them the feedback without having to spend any injuring hours. And here we were trying to build every single change that went from content back into a fake prototype, and which at that point was not really a prototype. And the client may look at, at the end of all of that. And we had a couple of clients who said, this is great, great exploration, but I don't think we're ready for this right now. So how do you charge them? How do you run an agency like that? Or how do you actually yeah. think of a product like that? So that's where we started off. We built something internally to scratch our own itch that became Botmock. And it's completely different right now than where it was
1: three years, three and a half years ago now. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's how we started. And And does that agency still exist and and did you leave it and you're sort of a spin out out of that agency or, or did you part ways, or is it actually just the same company, and now it's focused on this tool?
0: So I parted ways with the agency. I left my co-founder hanging there. Uh, no, he, he didn't want to do a product. He wanted to stay in the agency world. I was to be honest, I was getting a little tired of the agency side of things because uh, I've been doing it for ten years or so, and uh, with consulting work and agency work like that, it's, um, you really have to bounce from project to project to figure out what the excitement is. And sometimes um, you get to work on very... Most of the time, you get to work on some boring projects because they, they kind of work easily for you. Um, and I wanted to try my hands on a product. So I was like, hey, I've helped so many other companies launch their SaaS product. Why can't I launch one mine?"
1: Yeah, because you did because yeah, because you did have the product experience working with the clients through the agency. So that wasn't new for you then.
0: Yeah, so we would think of us as the like a virtual CTO kind of idea, right? So we would start with a company from their idea and get them on an MVP, help them build a team around it, and then we our team will just extract ourselves out of it. Ah. So we'll train them on everything and get them going. Yeah. Uh, that was one part of the model. The other one was we would actually work with traditional. Enterprise customers and basically augment their team to help them do it faster. So it was a bit of a both. Um, so the the first one allows us to do a lot more introspective of why do you want to what what is an MVP that you can launch and what's the objective usually comes from marketing exercise with them and say we're trying to evaluate if this product is needed in this market and what's the minimum that we need to build, but keeping an eye on what the future could look like. So.
1: Yeah, because yeah, I, I remember that from when we had a a wonderful walk in the in Central Park once where you explained to me your, your process of how you're working at Botmark, where you are sketching features, where you're on the calls with clients and your user base the entire time, where you're sketching features on, on a piece of paper and, and showing it to them and actually making sure that they would actually pay if you would... Built that feature to really make sure that you put a product out there that they are going to like. Uh, Can can you sort of talk us through that process a little bit of how you approach that?
0: Yeah. So we are in a constant state of MVPs. Uh, That's what my team keeps telling me. Um, But the idea is quite simple. The idea is that um, we all have that final vision in our head of what the product could look like. The challenge with this space specifically is that the, that, that goalpost changes very quickly because we're learning so much, our customers are learning so much, uh, the industry is changing. Like all the pieces of a conversational AI solution, uh, whether it's from planning, discovery, design, to from content, CMSs, to all the deployment and testing and you know, all the phases, um, they're learning and they're improving. So, one thing that we kept as a critical part of our process is. Never to think, you know, to build faster, build quickly, show it to the customers, get their feedback, and then keep on iterating on that idea over time. Because over time, you will learn so much from that feedback loop that your end goal will look much more polished, and the end product comes out to be much more polished as well. Um, and it also allows us to not sort of go back in six months of development, and come back, and realize that people actually have moved on yeah. and whatever whatever they told you. Is no longer been true in their own world, and that has happened a couple of times in just us building and asking questions. Where um, you know, two months of, of gap between call A and call B can give you two different results from the same customer because they may give you feedback like, "Oh, we're looking to you." You know, we're looking for a CMS, for example, and then they come back after two months and they're like, "Oh, you know what? We realize that the CMS that we have already for Web and Mobile is actually working. Yeah, I and mean, there's nothing we need to change there." But what we're really looking for is X now. And now you're like, what? You just changed everything on me. Like whatever I was going to go build for you has changed. So the Uh constant customer calls also, that's the biggest benefit we get. And and frankly, we are tool builders. So at the end of the day, um, we have to make sure that whatever you're building makes our customers' life easier. And the challenge for us is to—we don't have one customer; we have thousands of customers. So, how do we make sure that it scales for everybody as well?
1: Yeah, because that was going to be my question. Like, how many people do you talk to before you make a a decision on a a on a feature? Because you know, a lot of times, you know, clients don't know what their problem is. Right? They they sort of stumble upon something and and they. Start thinking about a solution, but you know they might often you know have to take a step back, actually you know, look at a bigger picture, and, and create a little, more like a holistic perspective. Um, so if they tell you what they need, it's often you know not what actually what solves their problem because uh, they don't mm-hmm. understand what the problem is. So what's your number of of customers sort of that you need to talk to before you can actually make a move on something? I'm really curious about that number
0: yeah so there's a couple of things on that and um the one of the critical things that we sort of use is the the way you ask that question so if we ask them you know how a very direct question about the feature we're probably going to get lots of false positives so if i asked you you know as a as a team who's building conversational designs or conversational ai do you need you know Uh, a CMS. I'm going to take CMS as an example for this conversation, but like, do you need a CMS? And now what I've done is I pigeonholed you into a problem and it may not be the problem, but now you're thinking about just the CMS part of it. So what we do is we we track a lot of data on our end, first of all. So we are bucketing our own customers into what we think is the best fit for them uh, in terms of what conversation we want to. So if I go to an agency that has three users on botmark, for example, and ask them about how critical it is for you to, you know, to have the ability to control who has access to what part of your projects um, at any given time. You may look at it and say three people, we sit in the same room. We don't really need anything. Um, so identifying whom to ask what questions is one part. What kind of questions you want to ask them, that's another challenge. Um, and how you phrase them, that matters a lot. So Having those three pieces of of puzzle pieces, when you start the conversation, and the critical thing is let them talk the most and because in that process they're they're going to give you a bunch of other puzzle pieces, and yeah. they're not going to be in order. they're not going to be in any sequence uh, because they are because as you said, they they don't know what they're looking for right now, mm-hmm. or they they're trying to equate your solution with something else in their mind, and you have no idea what that is. So, so you basically take a lot of information, you go back and you're like, okay, I have all these pieces, they said X, Y, and Z, and then eight, all sort of variations of it. And then I'll do that for like, we do hundreds of calls with our customers. Um, and typically for a month, we would do about 60 or so calls with our customers. Um, so you, you take all the data back, you put it all pieced together and say, okay, we have more questions now. Now, you don't go back to all 60 of them to ask more questions. Um, And this is where the team really shines is that they have the ability to look at all of this and say, I want to go talk to Hans more because he had some insight in his notes or in his comment that Mm -hmm. we feel like there's more thought behind it. He has thought a little bit more than customer X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. we go to you and we're like, okay, you talked about this particular feature. Can you tell me more? How are you really solving it right now? And one of the questions that we usually guide everything with is, imagine you don't have BotMock, then what do you do? So imagine whatever tool you're using. If you're using Airtable, the question is, why are you using Airtable? And somewhere in that line is, you know, I'm using it because I have a license available to me. So like, I mean, it's not like I'm using it because I like it. I'm using it because just because it was there. Yeah. Or you may come back and you're like, I use it because I'm such a power user on it. Like. I can do whatever you want me to do on on Airtable. So that's why I use it. Um, And these are like the kind of answers you will get back. So you have to look at all of them and say, uh, which one should I go with? Because the one who does not really use Airtable as big or uses it because it's the default installed on their machine is not really binded by it. So they're not going to give you more feedback. There's no insight there. But the one who's like really, really power user of it even they will have issues with it because they have now modifying. I mean, we had a customer who came to us and they were like, oh, I created a custom base in Airtable that talks to your API that does this X magical thing. And I was like, what are you doing here? Like, what are you really solving? Like, why are you doing this? And we had like, I don't know, like five calls that I sat through. Um, and we realized that what they were really doing is that they weren't waiting for us to complete features. This user was like a superpower user, but there are like hundreds of other users of ours who would not do that. They don't have time and or energy or the expertise
1: to do it. So, yeah. what the problem yeah. And, and, and do you think, you know, if, if like a, you look know, at uh, teams that need to uh, sort of start using conversation design tools, so I like the question that you always ask at conferences, product guys, who just ask them, where does your team live, right? Do you feel like that is in this market right now. You're not competing with other prototyping and design tools. You're really just trying to tell people, wait, you're probably using spreadsheets and flowcharting tools and Airtable and all these different things. But there's actually a dedicated solution that's going to solve most your problem? Do you think that, that that is the key focus right now? Is just convincing people, wait, there's a thing called conversation design, and these are dedicated people and they have dedicated equipment, and and that mm-hmm. is what Botmark is. Is that do you think that that is the the biggest side of the market right now for you?
0: Absolutely, yeah. So uh, we went through a phase where a lot of our customers in 2017, oh, sorry, a lot of customers who are customers right now, in 2017, when we talked to them, they were like, I don't think we need this kind of tool. Like Excel is working. We have Visio. We have a small team or we, we do these explorations and then we go into uh, Alexa Skills Kit or we go into uh, Flow and, and it." it works. Look, we have a POC. It, it's working chatbot. Um, and anytime now we need to make an improvement, we just go in there and improve it. And we told them at that point that what you're not thinking about is you don't have a conversation design team right now. And this thing is not going to scale. Uh, either this chatbot will die, a natural death, or it will work really well. And now you will have more use cases that you want to implement. And how do you not break what you have and introduce more changes and you need a system for that you know if you started building a wordpress website directly in wordpress editor any of them without doing any design exploration it'll work i mean 90 percent of the smaller websites can be built like that but as soon as you have a serious feature set that you want to build features more rich content that you want to edit you need a process and They came back in, in late last year or mid last year, and they were all like, "Yeah, we are now scaling, and yeah. it's hitting the fan." And how do we do this? How, do, how does BotMox solve that problem for us? And we're like, "Well, gladly we show you what it is." And I think one thing we've seen now is that a lot of customers are coming with that equipment already in them, that mind frame that's saying, "Okay, we are looking for a tool. We're looking for yeah. something to help us. We know okay. we need it." And uh, and excels and all those things were great. But uh,
1: not when you're we, scaling. We're, yeah, we're going to step up our game. Do you feel like there is a a number that a team has of of people where you know we scare, Once we get above four or five people, we start running into issues where we need to be thinking about you know a collaborative design and prototyping tool. Um, is there a number, the sort of headcount that you feel in the market that's when they start really get organized better in a way? How many designers? Yeah, so, have?
0: yeah I think. The way to think about it is that I, I think rarely there's a chatbot that can be built by one person. I, I, I don't even see that happening in, in real life. A yeah, good right. Chat bot, right? I mean, you may be a hobbyist trying to build a simple conversational chatbot. Yeah. That would work. But you, typically teams would have some sort of content writer, somebody who's from a creative side coming in. You have a data scientist team coming in and saying, okay, how do we map the intents and entities and all those mm-hmm. magical things? Yeah. And then maybe an overlap with development, who is developing. So let's say three people minimum, two people. So as soon as you have more than one, you need a system. You yeah. need everybody to be on the same page. Um, and that becomes even more critical when you go above five people. Because now you have somebody in there who's a stakeholder, who's giving you feedback. And that is in a different wavelength than your development process going on. So your V1 has been approved. That doesn't mean the team has just given up on everything else. You had other ideas that you want to explore while V1 is being deployed. Or yeah. you've deployed your V1, you're learning something from it. How do you test those ideas before making all those changes? Yeah. So all of those things, I think what we see is anything above two people, for sure, they start using us. And then five is when they really email us and they're like, we need a system. Like We really need to make sure everybody's on the same page here. And yeah.
1: What yeah, are the features we we'll need for that? Yeah, because the way we, we like to uh, set up up these design teams, we sort of see three roles where you've got the AI trainer that pretty much turns data into interaction, right? So it does intent mapping, analytics, implementing it in the platform. You've got the conversation designer that thinks more about, you know, that turns knowledge and business process into a conversational flow, like the structure of the conversation. And they have got your conversational expert that really turns, you know, words into, you know, clear and, and resonating Dialogue that's like your expert copywriter. And what we often try to get teams to do is, is sort of uh, in one sprint, they do what we call happy conversation design, where they focus on, on the happy flows. Uh, then the stakeholder signs off on it. And then once he has given his feedback, that happy conversation goes into detailed conversation design, where we start training the language model. We think more about handovers, repair messages, and, and then it gets implemented in the platform. So BotMock would actually have all those people working in the same prototyping tool with very clear handovers and being able to get feedback on the designs, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we
0: go from your discovery planning stage all the way to your deployment. And then beyond that, whatever you learn from your production bot, you can bring back to the design documents and say, what, what do we do as the next version of it? And So we have have consciously built the tooling around it in terms of uh, teams always working together. So real time collaboration is a must. You should be able to see what the latest changes are at any given point, track who's making those changes, what is happening, not using slacks and emails and PDF documents to get feedback so that the rest of the team, and it becomes more critical as you start sort of coming close to the developer handover, because there's so much context in those design documents that even if you were to just export them in PDFs eventually and start developing from scratch all the way up, the developer is looking at all these documents and saying, okay, what was the decision for this particular thing to happen in your pod? Or why are we structuring it this way? What are you expecting out of it? Um, And those conversations are between stakeholders and designers, are between the rest of the team. And usually, they may have happened in Slack channels or emails which is even worse than Slack channel. Because in Slack channel, at least you can invite the developers in and say, here's some sort of hierarchy or archive of it. Uh, In an email thread, somebody has to put it all together and make sure the developer gets it. Yeah. And becomes even harder for that. So we bring all of that together in one place. And with user testing, which has been one of the most useful features for most of our customers is the ability to, before you even hit development stage, be able to send your stakeholder a link and say, just chat with my bot. Yeah. Don't worry about what my decision tree is. Don't How I've implemented it is beyond the scope of this particular test. I want you to go ahead and complete a task. So, And they do that and you get insights which are way more valuable than... Um, which what our customers before we launched the feature were doing was they would go to a development team and say, can you make a QA version of this? Yeah. Uh, and then they would send a link for that QA live bot to their stakeholders. They'll chat with it and then they will email it back and say, hey, Obed, this was really good. Uh, but I think you know, the way you're asking for the name in the start of the chat could be better. So that's the feedback you get. You have to now go back to your development team and say, can I actually get the transcript for that session somehow? Uh, and depending on what you're using, you may or may not actually get that. Yeah
1: have you uh, uh, have, have you ever gotten like yeah. uh, from from one of these customers where or do you have a number where you can say, well this is actually the time you're saving by using Botmock? because because we know it's like just even the handovers and the chaos of giving feedback like it's a pain that's already very inefficient, but also building stuff too fast without having it properly validated is you know is very time consuming uh, we We find it very difficult to put a number on sort of you know uh, and at the time you're saving when you focus more on design itself, but do you have a number for when you start doing it in Botmock? you have a good understanding of that? Yeah, so
0: I mean, we have some understanding of it. We are in the process of learning more in terms of what exactly are we, are we saving, but from what we uh, what our customers have told us is that for their ability to show the first POC to their stakeholders, it has gone down from months to weeks now. Right. So they're able to produce something in a couple of days now and say, okay, is this what you had in mind? Is this the kind of conversation you're going to have? And, and I'm not talking about just the flowchart kind of thing. It's an actual prototype video or some sort of interaction that they can show to their stakeholders. Yeah. Uh, what we have also seen is, from a development perspective, we have seen them thousands of hours in sort of copying pasting content in the right place, parsing CSV files and Excel sheets. Um, you know, when an intent is given to them, or all the utterances in an Excel file, and they're like, okay, how do I import them and how do I manage it and what changes happen with it? So there's like a thousand hours saved there. Um, overall, uh, it speeds things up. And what the most interesting thing we found is that uh, it's not like that when we speed things up, They already, you know, they were doing four use cases. Let's say, for example, in the prototyping discovery stage. Now they're doing ten or fifteen of them because now they can do them. Yeah. Because it's faster for them to do, right? In the same three-month exploration, they're actually doing much deeper exploration than doing a very high-level, top-of-the-happy paths only kind of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And 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 what I'm interesting as you were talking, sort of zooming out here a little bit. You've you've seen the market sort of go from messenger bots, which was like the Wild West when you were starting out, right? And it was like everybody's super excited about uh opening rates, right? Because we were just sort of super intrusive. And it was like very uh yeah, like the Wild West. It's now maturing, you know, where we sort of start talking more about AI assistance in, in general. Uh, companies are, are, you know, building teams and setting up, you know, serious shops around AI systems and, and design. Particularly, what do you think is like the the next big step here? What, what do you look forward to? Like, is is it do you see voice completely overtaking chatbots, or, or maybe uh, we're gonna be doing uh, social robotics within two years altogether? Like, what do you think is ahead of us here?
0: So I, we, I personally think it's, we're going to get much more better conversational experiences, voice and text, and mixture of both kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think one medium is winning necessarily over the other one. Uh, however, some use cases are getting much better defined in voice, and some use cases are just much better on text-based chatbots. That's just the case is going to be. Uh, what we're seeing from a lot of our customers is that they are fluid between the both. So when we ask them if they started with voice and we ask them things like, what is your plan for non-voice experiences, they already have a roadmap to get to that point. Um, they, they know that it's not a question of just being on one medium or platform or any of them. So it's going to be very uh, interesting, move. And even from an AI sort of perspective, how they're thinking about it, uh, any good chatbot AI solution out there needs to be well thought out first. And this, the problem is exactly the same where they're like, this just makes it even harder for them because it's more complicated. Yeah. There are many moves, moving parts of it. How do they get the right person, right people in the team to review and make sure the pieces are coming together properly? So the exploration is even more critical now. Um, they, it's not The challenge with non-AI based solutions that were what Facebook Messenger solution were, They were menu button driven conversations, right? I, I, yeah. I don't think chat they were button driven chat interfaces, and they were happening because well, if you can't plan for AI if you can't plan for how users interact with your use case and how do you control that chat, how do you make sure that the conversation is not about you know getting derailed at every other message, then button base is the easiest way to build things, but it's not that's not conversational that's just a nice, different way of looking at interface.
1: A button is often a camouflage for bad design. So what we teach is really uh, design voice first, right? So if you can figure out the conversation with just voice, with the bare minimum, then you can deploy it pretty much anywhere because it's going to work for chat as well. And then sometimes in in some of these interactions, uh, you know, it just helps to... You know, to use a button because it's easier, mm-hmm. right? But uh, and then you know it can just enhance the user experience. But you you should never use a button to actually uh, avoid having to solve the design problem. I agree, right? So you need, need to earn the buttons, and that's it's very tricky. And also, if you do it, if you design properly with, with sample dialogue and and the Wizard of Oz testing it, you will hear what people say when you ask the question, and then whatever they say is probably what you should say on the button. Right, because a lot of times you'll see these buttons where like nobody would say it this way, right? And that just creates stress with users, where you know it's business jargon on a button where like, yeah, this is not how I would have said that, and a button should pretty much say, you know, what the user would have said and what he thinks. Um, It's 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 often people hide people hide behind bad designers hide behind their buttons.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and you know, I mean, in in most cases, if you start with that uh, with that constraint, it's the same thing when you do non-conversational design. If you're building a mobile or web app, you probably have done this. You take a pen and paper and you sketch a skeleton of what your mobile app will look like. And your brain does this amazing thing where it will scribble lines where there's going to be text that is not important. But if you have a button or something in that UI that needs to be the critical part, you will create that. Like you will create some sort of Placeholder for that, and that's how you should think about conversation design too. You're you're looking from a very high level first. What's the important pieces, and then you go back in there and you fill it up to be more friendly, right? So, uh, you know, your small chat parts or how you're asking questions can become more relevant as you go. Um, but from day one, maybe you don't need all those things. You don't need quick replies from day one because you do you don't even know what you're asking right now. Um,
1: Exactly. It's, it's, there's, yeah, In conversation design, too, there is low fidelity design, which is pretty much what the conversation designer does. And high fidelity design is, is actually sort of what the conversational expert eventually does that just has a better understanding of, of actual copywriting, of, of uh, personality, of understanding a user's psychology. And that's sort of, you know, where it really takes it to that next level, where it becomes like a, a very human-centric, personalized experience in a way, right? Uh, there's definitely it evolves over time, and, and there's different stages. Um, we're sort of getting to the end here, man. Is, uh, I feel like uh, you should come back because I feel like we got a lot more stuff to talk about. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's always fun to chat with you. Because we can we can go for that walk again after all of this is done. <laughs> it
1: might, might be a while, actually. Is is Canada opening up again soon? Or? we we are we are in Ottawa.
0: We are on phase two. Um, which I guess means that barbershops are open. So, I, And that's my threshold of what people
1: Let me know when the bars are open. Then
0: I'll... Uh, <laughs> uh, they have been open. They were open from day one. Um, well, they opened on days one, yeah. Oh, then I
1: might just come over soon we'll have a drink and before uh before i do that if there's a do you know i always like to ask this question is there a specific book that uh, you would like to gift everybody that's listening to this so apparently i guess it's the book that i'm going to be reading on the plane coming to see you there in ottawa Uh, is there anything that that you would recommend that you would encourage people to read that you would like to gift everybody
0: ah good question um you know i read this book uh, a couple of years ago and i it really left an impression on me in terms of how I think about problem solving and, and especially when it comes to conversation design. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this book has worked really well for me in business dev as well. So this is like a very interesting. I think I will be interested to see whether people think about it too. So there's a book by Dale Carnegie about how to win friends and influence people. Yeah, I read it on a plane ride once, and uh, from Ottawa to San Francisco, and I could not put it down. It was really really fun read. Uh, but what really struck with me is that um, the, it really tells you how to make that connection with people. Like human connection at the end of the day, digital or non-digital, works the same way in some format. If you can hit those notes right in your conversation design or your web design with your customers, sales calls, whatever it may be, um, it really improves the interaction and the experience. And yeah, I, I highly recommend reading that book. There's a couple other ones too, but we'll start with sure. there.
1: Yeah, but this, this is a great ending. I really, lo- I really love this, this suggestion. And it is a great book. And, and uh, I'd never really thought about it in, in terms of actually, you know, the relationship to conversation design. Uh, so yeah, everybody go, go read that book. And thank you so much for, for being on. It was a great pleasure having you on. We'll bring you back on. And, uh, yeah, thanks again, man. Always a pleasure to be here. Before I leave you, I really want to take a moment to tell you about a new course and certificate that we have launched at the Conversation Design Institute. So we already had courses and certificates for conversation designers, you know, the people that really turn knowledge into natural conversational flows and the conversational copywriters that turn words into resonating dialogue, that think about personality and psychology. Well, we've now completed this. We can complete the entire conversation design team with the AI trainer. This is the person that turns data into understanding. So he collects utterances, makes sure that they become inclusive training phrases, does intent strategies, implements this in you know, conversational AI technologies does the analytics. It's really about turning data into understanding because, you know, we want to make sure that people feel understood, but we also need to make sure that we understand what people say. And that's really what the AI trainer does. So the AI trainer works together with the conversation designer and the conversational copywriter in the conversation design workflow. So you can go to trycdi.com and really get a free trial for the AI training course. Uh, You can just go to conversationdesigninstitute.com to sign up immediately. And if you're already subscribed to the Conversation Design Institute's library, you will have access to this content because we want to make sure that everybody has access to all the resources that are out there on Conversation Design. Now, enjoy, learn, reach out. Uh, I just really wanted to tell you about this because you know we put a lot of work into it. We work with the entire community to figure out, you know, what is relevant for you know what does the AI trainer need to know. Uh, so so it's our most anticipated course so far. So I want to thank everybody in the community that has contributed to it and the team at Conversation Design Institute. They're the best, and uh, we're really proud of the product. And, and I really think you will learn a lot and, and really. Yeah, it will deliver immediate value to your job in conversation design teams. So that's it for me. Thank you so much.